Welcome to Slingshot by Arkham Ventures. On this podcast, we curate conversations with product experts about the processes and ideas that make modern day product management tick. Tune in every fortnight to listen to our latest episode. Join our Substack mailing list at slingshot.substack.com to stay informed about the latest release. Without further ado, let's dive in and listen to our guests. Hello and welcome to this edition of Slingshot. Our guest today is Vikram Chopra, co-founder and CEO of Cars24, the newly minted unicorn and the market leader in used car space marketplace in India. Uh, he's an unusual entrepreneur with a very unusual journey, so I'm very much looking forward to all the wisdom he has to share with us and all the experiences he has building two companies and being a VC himself in the past. So without further ado, let's get started into it. Vikram, welcome. Thank you, Vishant. Look forward to chatting. Yeah. Can you give us a like five minute visual stop tour of your journey so far, like where you're from, where you went to college and so on and so forth? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, I grew up in Raibareli, uh, was in like Sonia Gandhi's constituency. That's how like uh, most people uh, know of it. So I was there till my class uh, 12th, then uh, got into IIT, so went to ID Bombay. Uh, uh, thereafter, from college, got McKinsey as a job. Uh, this was 2006. At that point, there were like hardly any startups or at least none that we were aware of in college, right? So it was largely about taking up ITC, McKinsey, Lehman, you know, those kinds of jobs. So got, got through McKinsey, so joined them. Did McKinsey for two and a half years. A uh, bunch of McKinsey people were at Sequoia, uh, you know, interviewed with Sequoia and got through that. So that's how I became a VC. Uh, uh, but the whole idea around was that, you know, you do two years of McKinsey, two years of Sequoia, and then you go get your MBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty much the norm back then uh, for, for undergrads like me. Uh, mm-hmm. now, interestingly, at Sequoia, right, while a bunch of my other colleagues, uh, you know, we were all business investment analysts, uh, they were they were part of a lot of deals. You know, I think I was part of maybe two deals in like two years, right? And uh, the deal making was still happening at a, at a, at a quite a, a hectic pace at Sequoia. Not nothing compared to what it must be today, but you know, still there was some like you know my other colleagues must be doing like you know at least be part of three four deals a year, and I was like I did like one and a half in two year two years. So, and you know. You know, everybody asked me, why are you at, at VC if you're not part part of the deals? And, you know, I, I at some level, I was I was okay with it because, you know, accidentally, one of the deals that I became part of, uh, which was an offline company, an FMCG company, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just spent so much time with the entrepreneur. I actually, you know, shifted to Indore while I was mm-hmm. uh, Delhi-based, I shifted to indoor to spend most of my time with the entrepreneur because I was just fascinated by, you know, how do you actually build your own business and right? how do you go about building distribution, right? That was like one of the big problems for them. Uh, you know, they had this problem around packaging a lot of, uh, you know, products that they made, like you know, the, the air would come out of it and then those products sort of, you know, become stale. So I was just loving it, right? So I think that was my first introduction that, you know, look, I am not made for consulting or for investing. I am probably like just like you know being naive at some level, but this is what I'm enjoying. Mm-hmm. But 
nevertheless i think uh, you know mba was uh, what i was supposed to do everybody was doing it so i was in a bit of fomo that how can i not go do my mba mm-hmm. so i went to wharton for my mba mm-hmm. didn't like that much uh, and it's everything to do with me because i felt at some point you know i'm just going through the same run again i joined mckinsey because that was the thing to be done i joined sequoia because that was the thing to be done and i am again doing this and look you know if i don't break the cycle then uh, it will forever continue so i dropped out after 6 months wow uh, from wharton from wharton uh, incidentally and you know i got a good reason to drop out honestly you know uh, rocket internet at that point was looking to incubate bunch of startups in india uh, you know i met them furniture was an idea that you know i was thinking in my own head furniture uh, and home home goods and simply from the perspective that this is one category which is completely unorganized right so maybe you can only organize it being online that was a thesis broadly so you know they wanted to do it i was excited to do it i said you know this is a great reason for me to just get out of of my mba right now so you know i dropped out in 6 months came back and that's when uh, you know started with fast furnish in 2012 and since then uh, built fast furnish for three and a half years of course you know uh, that uh, didn't didn't get my, i mean we built a reasonable uh, volumes back then but obviously you know as an outcome it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't a success by any metric uh, it was you know bought by future group uh, and then started cars 24 and yeah last five years and counting uh, at cars 24 what do you think like you being a VC was it a asset or a liability I think uh, you know I think that's a very interesting question uh, I was very naive right mm-hmm. but I think that that was that was that was good because uh, I didn't try to do pros and cons of whether I should be a VC or whether I should join a startup or I should go do an MBA I was largely in the flow now the downside of that flow was that I did go to Wharton for few months, right? Mm-hmm. But the upside of that being in that flow was that you know I figured out naturally that being with an entrepreneur sitting next to him and seeing how he makes his decisions through the days and what are the highs and lows mm-hmm. that the person goes through, I think that was just fundamentally very exciting to me. So I think uh, you know while I was at a VC, uh, mm-hmm. I actually just ended up spending pretty much. maybe more than a year out of my two years with this one particular entrepreneur mm-hmm. uh and uh, so yes i think uh, you know that as an it was pretty much an accidental experience but you know that was game changer for me so i mean a lot of time we like kind of believe that okay from outside we can game out the whole thing so i believe you also did the, the vc you game out the whole fab furnish venture and all what part of the gaming out exercise kind of worked out and what looking back what was the wrong assumption you made what do you mean by gaming out in a sense like you can strategize and plan all the scenario this, this will happen then i'll do this and so on and so forth so as yeah. a vc when you basically made some assumption what were the assumption which kind of proven wrong when you was entrepreneur hat yes so i i think uh, you know to be honest when we started fast furnish we were uh, so high on energy that mm-hmm. frankly there was no strategy right okay. it was it was really about you 
put up a online store and you flood it with as many products as you can and then of mm-hmm. course you follow the hygiene mm-hmm. uh that you know those products should be good looking they should be reasonably priced but mm-hmm. was it really thought through that okay maybe attra- you know attract like you know attack one category first mm-hmm. uh should we have a combination of online and offline mm-hmm. uh you know uh should we sort of go mid segment uh, uh or sort of go premium etc we didn't really think through much of that because at that point mm-hmm. just the rush of doing things with our own hand was so overwhelming right mm-hmm. there was so much bias for action that you know it was all action <laughs> and mm-hmm. no thinking uh but i think as we started thinking more and more about it you know once we were in the business one and a half uh, two years Hmm. we realized that everything that we were doing at fab furnish was all around demand right hmm. how can we help consumers buy better furniture okay let's open offline stores so that they can also see what they want to buy can we partner with banks and provide emis so that hmm. you know it becomes affordable for the consumers how can we do more partnerships hmm. but then it occurred to us why are our friends and family not buying the furniture that we have right i mean mm-hmm. some of them were but not everybody and mm-hmm. look the reality that dawned upon us and you know that was sort of the elephant in the room that we were in denial about is that our furniture is not attractively priced for most indians right mm-hmm. most indians cannot afford a 25000 rupee bed right i mean they they are looking at a 10000 rupee bed or a 15000 rupee bed and if mm-hmm. if and you know so do we have those products no we do not right and mm-hmm. that was the first you know after sort of being in denial about it uh, to be honest uh, for the longest time i think we realized that unless we solve for that issue which is how do we get like affordable products which are also good quality right unless we sort of bring that equa- we get that equation right uh, we will never scale this to a to a big level right and in our minds it flipped from being a demand side problem or rather you know we assumed it's a demand side problem which is why i said you know there was not really any strategy right we just did what is obvious right you have you are a furniture company you focus on demand you focus on buyers right uh, but when we sort of this dawned upon us is when sort of the whole thought process flipped around and said you know we to build a furniture company we had to solve for supply first right had we solved for supply had we focused on getting affordable furniture uh, with good designs uh, and good quality you know the outcomes would have been much larger right uh, but of course it's a very very hard problem uh, you know it's a very hard problem to solve for supply given at least at that point you know most of the furniture in india was coming from from china and other other countries and they obviously have large setups so how do you exactly sort of you know you were trying to be an e-commerce you want to be scalable but you know okay you're going to go buy products from outside india there is a three month lag of getting them there a bunch of how do you price them there a bunch of challenges which made it a very hard problem but in our mind we thought that it's really the supply side problem than being the demand side problem so you learned that lesson hard way with fab furnish and i can't help but notice a similarity between fab furnish and car 24 a similar price point considered purchase segment so did the genesis of car 24 lies in the learning of fab furnish or how does you stumble upon the idea of car 24 no it does it does so uh, absolutely i think for us this was a aha moment right because everybody that we looked around 
was trying to build xyz for consumers mm-hmm. right laundry for consumers food delivery for consumers grocery you know everything like you know uh, furniture rental for consumers or like everything is for for the cons- like for consumption like for buyers mm-hmm. and we thought that in a lot of categories like furniture you know there is actually you have to first solve for supply because unless you solve for supply you can't really do much for the demand side for example if somebody is looking to buy a good quality used car where is the supply so yes i can dream about creating an online used car dealership that will provide affordable cars to consumers with high quality but where will i first source those cars from is it even clear mm-hmm. right and i think we we thought to ourselves that very few people or like at least the people that you know i would meet and you know was surrounded with that nobody is really thinking about supply side problems so we said look this seems interesting right and look i think then quickly you know my own experience of buying or selling car was pretty it was so bad that you know it didn't even feel bad to me because that's how it was supposed to be i remember when i was going to wharton uh i just left my car with a friend because you know i could not even dream or dare think that how will i sell this thing right so i said just let leave it with him and maybe he will figure it out mm-hmm. uh, at some point but you know i really have no clue how to sell a car so you know there was some personal experience also but at that time i took it for granted that you know this is how it is but then when i sort of applied this lens i said wow right there is that <laughs> i was the supplier of a used car and you know uh, as a consumer i don't know how to sell my car so if you don't know how to sell your car uh then clearly the supply side problem is not solved and how can you build demand right without solving for the supply side right and look we just saw that in the furniture it took us two and a half years to figure that thing out so yes i think that is how we got excited about it that you know look like very few people are thinking about attacking any category for that matter from the supply side uh, uh and you know uh, cars was uh, you know and it obviously went through a lot of uh, tra- like you know iterations around several ideas that we discussed for several months but solving for supply which is our big aha and doing it for cars is sort of what came together for us in the form of car 24 vikram and just keen to understand how is cars 24's marketplace different from let's say a general demand aggregator like a olx or like a flipkart or like an amazon uh sure how, so how is the supply sure so i think uh, so there are two there are two i would say two parts to it so if you just think about uh, as somebody who's looking to sell your car right uh, the the how would you do that right as i was describing and for most people even today you got to do everything yourself you have to literally look out to find potential buyers you have to make those phone calls or list your car on a classified and or go to the local market but you need to find buyers yourself you need to negotiate with them yourself you need to figure out the paperwork yourself you need to figure out the payments etc yourself right so it's like fully diy right and this is not an area of anybody's expertise right i just want to sell my car and get the best price for my car and just get done with it right that's it right this is not an area that i have no knowledge about so i think what we started with that cars 24 was that look we need to give consumers best price for their car that's not negotiable right because it's not about that indians are value conscious and they will only sell their car for the next 1 rupee extra but we thought it there is a more 
emotional reason for it which is that you know if somebody is offering me even 1000 rupees extra i feel that the guy who's offering me 1000 rupees less is take, trying to take me for a ride so it's not just necessarily that you know i am such a value conscious indian that i will optimize for every single rupee but it's more about think about it this is how you and i will also think right that if one person offers us 1000 rupees extra we will not think that that person may be more efficient than the other person we will think that the other person is trying to cheat us right so we we realize that how can we give consumers best price while taking care of everything for them right because essentially the reason that consumer has to do everything themselves is the reason why this market is fully fragmented right so what we are really is essentially a way for a seller to sell their car without having to do anything by themselves right all they do is allow us to inspect their car and at end of the inspection we offer them a price how we offer that price is a bit of a magic that happens at the back end but you know we offer them the price and as a consumer you say yes or no right now how is it different from say you know e-commerce uh, and elsewhere is that you know most of the platforms focus on on discovery between the buyer and the seller right uh, we are focusing not on matching buyer and seller we are just focused on doing the price discovery right so as a seller you do not care that on the back end car 24 has thousands of dealers who are bidding for your car right all you care about is really getting the right price for my car getting the best price for my car so this magic of auctions that we do with dealers is all in the back end is all hidden from the seller not intentionally hidden but you know seller really cares about the outcome which is do, did i get the right price for my car or not so we are not focused from a seller perspective seller doesn't care whether you matched me to the right dealer or not they only care did i get the best price or not right however the the process of getting there is actually by doing the right matching which we all do in the back end right so our north star metric is price discovery right got it and from what i understand car uh, cars 24 as in the complete value chain of a used car sale is a seller and a dealer and then a buyer yes so, uh, why sort of go between the as in go from a seller to a dealer and then to a buyer and not just like a seller and then aggregate the inventory and then to a buyer yes i think look i uh, that's a fantastic question uh, in india the used car market is fully fragmented and by the way it's is the case in many other geographies as well uh, which means there is no pricing data on cars second hand cars right which means that there is no way i can buy your car or at least till now we had no way we could buy your car because directly because i don't even know what the price i should give for your car right so through iterations early on fortunately for us we discovered that you know we have these small businesses in the form of used car dealers who are willing to participate in real time auctions right and help us do the price discovery right so we thought this is fantastic right because at one hand we can offer seller a quick turnaround time on what price we can offer them on their car at the same time these dealers are willing to participate in those auctions and willing to sort of you know be the highest bidder and and honor that obligation that they buy this car because they are the highest bidder uh, and as a process we do not really need to take any inventory risk right so without actually carrying inventory without actually trying to second guess the prices of the car right we could make consistent margins and 
and did not have to underwrite any of these cards, right? Now, the second order effect of that was that we collected so much data on used cars that I think today in India, nobody has, nobody even is even like anywhere close to, to how much data we have about used cars and their pricing, right? We have built an algorithm that are very accurate in figuring out or predicting what the price for a car in a particular pin code should be which was not possible or which is not possible even today for anybody, not even for OEMs, uh, right? Because they don't own the transactions uh, of secondhand cars. So that's the reason we, we wanted to solve for the seller's problem first, right? Because we said, let's focus. And we stumbled upon a way to solve the seller's problem without taking inventory risk, right? Uh, so, you know, you know it, it turned, it, it, it's little complicated i know but you know it turned out beautifully for us where we could solve for the seller's problem as a second order outcome we could build a lot of pricing uh, data and now we can use that data to by the way start taking inventory risk and start selling to end buyers right which is sort of the leg that we are working on now where we are saying okay we can take some of these cars on our own books and start selling to an end buyer directly sort of become a full online dealership where you can sell the car and also buy a car can you talk a little bit about the signals you use in price uh, kind of appraisal and price discovery? Essentially, is is it the auction which you're talking about? Is it pure play, unrestricted auction, or you have some kind of a? Is it like eBay kind of auction where both parties are like uncontrolled and they're just bidding it up, or is it like mediated auction like Uber where you have some kind of a floor or a ceiling for the price? Yeah. It's a it, it's a it's a very very interesting topic and probably like you know could be a long discussion mm-hmm. in its own right. But what we do is we follow a very simple ascending auction, mm-hmm. uh, right? And uh, you know it's a twenty four minute auction. At end of the auction, there is the highest bidder, mm-hmm. uh, and that bidder basically you know has has won the right to buy that car mm-hmm. if the seller says yes. However, you know, behind the scenes, there is a lot happening, right? So mm-hmm. for example, we do not start auctions at zero, mm-hmm. right? Because the natural tendency for a participant in an auction is to try and sort of, uh, you know, get it at, at the lowest price possible, right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, people just forget that there is also a seller who needs to eventually say yes, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to actually not start auctions at zero, but we have to start it at a specific price, mm-hmm. right? But we also do not want to make that a specific price very obvious mm-hmm. because then the dealers start thinking that, okay, if this is the floor that they are setting, then maybe we, we should not go, say, more than 10%, right? So in a way, you are biasing them again. Mm-hmm. So we have to set the floor, but we have to set the floor pretty much in a very uh, subtle manner that they don't realize that we set the floor, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the downside of this is you also do not want them to feel that you are trying to interfere with the bidding, that you're not trying to put sort of bids of your own, which we are not, right? Mm-hmm. Our whole intention is just to set up the floor, right? Mm-hmm. So that's just one example of how you have to, you know, sort of set up the system, keeping all these uh, trade-offs in mind. But uh, at a high level, it's a simple ascending auction, where at end of the 24 minute, whoever wins the auction mm-hmm. has has the right to, uh, uh, you know, procure that car. Uh-huh. And we basically take that price to the seller and ask them, would they be willing to sell the car at this price or not? Interesting. Interesting. 
Vikram, very curious to understand how did you get dealers on board to this auction system? Was this a previous offline behavior that uh, you streamlined and solved for them, or was it like a completely new pitch to them, completely new system of working? It was, if like you know, this is a this is this was so organic. It's it's not even funny, right? So when we said we have to first solve for supply, right, uh, which is we have to help a seller sell their car. The first thing that we asked ourselves is how will we tell the pricing of this car right which we just discussed right hame pricing to aati nahi hai we went to some dealers in gurgaon and delhi uh, that sir could you help us with the pricing of the car right the, the guy said okay what's in it for me i said you know i mean if we if you are able to procure that car and in our mind we were still taking inventory risk right if you are able to procure that car we will give that car to you or we will you will have the first right of refusal on that car that guy said fine right in next few days we had several whatsapp groups where we were trying to talk to these dealers you know we we set up a simple facebook page started doing a little bit marketing some sellers started showing interest and then we would you know take pictures of these cars and then whatsapp this to dealers right in next 15 20 days i think we had maybe over 100 dealers who were helping us and it was just one meeting or maybe you know a phone call with these dealers they were happily looking at whatsapp pictures all day long and telling us what they think is the pricing of the car so we were organically doing auctions in a way right uh, auction nahi chala rahe the but sort of auction right because mm-hmm. we would send the same broadcast the same set of pictures to 15 dealers and you know 10 of them or 7 of them would respond with the pricing and then we would say okay whatever is the highest price let's sort of look at the second highest and you know second highest pe or third highest pe khareed lete that even if the highest guy was wrong then you know we have some margin of safety that's how we started and then we realized that these dealers are not even guaranteed that they will get the car right uh, they are just sitting there whole day responding to our whatsapp messages and our calls and giving us pricing of the car because if you think of it a dealer in india on an average does like five six cars a month that's it right so they have a lot of time right and they are used to looking at like hundreds of cars to be able to buy those five six cars so we said like you know look these dealers are actually willing to participate in this in this process without the guarantee that they will get every car that they sort of show interest in right they're, they're that expectation they do not have right they are happy to put in that effort and if in in offline world in their world if they are looking at 100 cars physically and buying only 5 cars if i can double that conversion for them that they look at 50 cars and buy 5 cars or you know 30 cars look at 30 and buy 5 they would you know they they also became much better so that's how we we started on whatsapp on phone calls and then we realized look you know we can actually take this to an app the general wisdom was that no dealer will ever use an app right a bunch of the other auto companies that exist have all tried to create products for used car dealers uh, all kinds of apps but you know their feedback when we would speak to you know Uh, people who have worked in these other auto companies would be that nahi karte yaar dealers are not savvy right that's sort of like they're not savvy enough to use but i think it was very clear that if you are solving for a genuine need of theirs right they were willing to use it so we never had to go out to onboard a single dealer for the first 3 years of our existence it was all organic we always had more dealers willing to join our our platform our auction app right then we could actually have on the platform so that that this whole dealer piece was fully organic we had like absolute 100% dealer like online adoption like very early on 
and the last thing they were not looking at the cards physically right they were all only looking at the images on an app or whatsapp and bidding on those cards they could only get to see the car when the car physically reached them at their doorstep so it all happened honestly you know we got lucky with that piece uh, you know it was all organic but now looking back if i have to sort of summarize it it's really that the mother of all problems in used cars is supply right uh supply was what we went out to solve and these guys were also craving for getting supply of the cars and because we solved that for them they were willing to come online is it a fair characterization if i say that the primary customer or primary user around which the whole car 24 service revolved is the buyer essentially it's the buyer's market the dealer right how doesn't it put you in conflict with the interest of the seller over here in the sense essentially let's say if i am a buyer will you tell me that hey instead of listing it in this pin code list it in a far away pin code your car so that uh, you can get a better pricing so on and so forth yeah no i it it's actually the other way around it's completely seller's market right mm-hmm. and i think we ourselves have been very clear about it from day one mm-hmm. uh, that you know the seller will sell to car 24 only if they are getting the best price for their car right mm-hmm. look i mean think of our early days and even today if you are selling your car you would also have some offer from somewhere else aapne kuch to research kiya hoga right kuch to kahi aur se bhi bid nikala hoga ya you know quote quotation aaya hoga so seller is very clear that they will sell if they are getting the best price right mm-hmm. so the onus is now upon us on how do we ensure that we are able to match or find right set of dealers who are willing to buy that car right mm-hmm. so seller is getting his is basically the best price that's the reason they are selling to us right mm-hmm. so our job is to just ensure that we are able to work not with the only dealers that are on the platform but find more dealers or the right dealers who may not be present today and because of which we are losing out on those particular sellers talking a bit more about the kind of demand side of the things so i believe like car ownership is a very culture specific thing like every country has a different kind of maturity curve on it so cars usually start as a status symbol then it becomes a ut- convenience and then it becomes a utility like you know so a high end car is a status symbol a used car is a convenience thing and then you have uber where majority of indian population is today is it in convenience state or utility status yeah i mean look uh, you know obviously at some level i would be biased because you know i'm in this business but mm. if you look at the numbers the car ownership in india is 20 cars per 1000 people mm-hmm. right uh, even us by the way is at 800 cars per 1000 people europe mm. is at 500 cars per 1000 people mm. even other developing markets like indonesia vietnam etc would be at like 200 cars per 1000 people Mm-hmm. our own delhi is at 200 cars per 1000 people but mm-hmm. overall india is at 18 cars per 1000 people so mm-hmm. in india the problem is of affordability right mm-hmm. at a fundamental level it's it's about affordability most people do not own a car because they just cannot own a car that's it mm-hmm. right so we think that okay maybe india will never get to 500 cars per 1000 people even if we were super rich right because there are ubers and olas and so on but i think it is very clear that 18 is lowest in the world right mm. and it's it's completely linked to gdp per capita right and mm. if you sort of pick if you plot gdp per capita and car ownership growth in any part of the world you see that you know it it rises 
literally in relation to the growth in gdp per capita so i think in india we are still at a stage with only 18 crores per 1000 people it's really about that fundamental issue of affordability more than anything else but don't you see a danger like the way we have bypassed the whole fixed line and move directly to cellular telephony we can have a similar transition where we say okay we car ownership might never be a thing here we might move to uber directly and what are those cultural levers like you know in the sense like in us i believe college and car is kind of synonymous when you go to college you kind of you know, get your first car or midlife crisis people buy yes. fancy cars and all yeah so what are those cultural levers which is driving this adaptation of used car or car ownership in general yeah i i think look i think uh, there are some clear use cases when people definitely buy a car you know especially when they have a child right mm-hmm. at that point you know if you could you want a car especially you know if you have a young one mm-hmm. like right from the birth till the time they are growing up right whether it's sort of commuting uh, you know sending child somewhere etc so i think or if you have you know older family uh, i think that's sort of one clear utility reason right mm-hmm. the other reasons we definitely see around us when we ask people one is safety right? and which is sort of very true for across india right you could use cars you could use rental cars and so on but you know not all times are safe right but you may have to step out at any time right uh, you know so i think that's one second is of course status right uh, it's again at some level universal but probably even more true in india it's a it's a great status symbol i have personally seen so many uh, uh young employee young uh, colleagues of mine right who said they will never buy a car hmm. but you know after few years at cash 24 and after few hikes the first hmm. thing that they went was bought a car right uh, hmm. and then i was like why did you buy a car is was like you know what you know it gives me freedom it gives me independence you know i could drive around with my girlfriend you know when my mother is visiting it's easy for her etc so i think it's part status part uh, part sort of safety part utility around like when you have children and family but i think what we still see around us is that if people could afford a car they like to buy a car right i mean of course there are people who would tell you that you know i can of course i can afford a car but i'm not buying one but i think that is still a small majority small set large number of people who today do not have a car do not have a car because they cannot afford it and covid is a net positive for this trend or it's adversarial no it's net positive it's net positive i mean our traffic on our website has gone up by like five times and we haven't done anything about it. like all of all the things we did was we we were always a heavy spender on marketing on television mm-hmm. right we obviously you know took that to zero and yet our traffic went up by like five times uh, essentially what's happening is that more and more people are visiting our website either upgrade thinking of selling their car uh, right so that they can upgrade to the new one or people thinking that you know at some point soon enough they will buy a car and you know this 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 is this company that i have heard the name of so maybe i'll find good choices of cars there so i think net positive for us uh, but i would say like for a for a from a long term perspective because it's not that you know we are not we have not seen a forex jump in our volumes we have seen jump in traffic right we have seen a jump in our volumes also we are now like 20% plus up compared to where we were at pre covid levels but uh, you know the leading indicator that you know the number of people who are visiting our website has dramatically jumped 
विक्रम कीन टू अंडरस्टैंड वॉट इज योर रोल इन बोथ फैब फर्निश एंड कास्ट ट्वेंटी फोर इज इट लाइक I think at Cash Twenty Four, I added one more, which is uh, organization culture. Uh, so, like I would say, now I am like thirty percent product, thirty percent business, and thirty percent org, which means that I am not spending uh, disproportionate time on any one thing. Which I think for our size and scale is actually good, because you know uh, I don't think I will be ever able to get into a great amount of detail in anything so i would actually be more of a bottleneck than enabler most of the time so i have over years gotten comfortable with letting go of my ego uh thinking that i always have figured it out compared to my colleagues uh, and i am much more comfortable relative to where i was in stepping back right which is i am comfortable being 30% business 30% product and 30% org as opposed to being dominant on any one thing got it and when was the first incident and what stage of growth was the first instance when you kind of stepped back and hired your first pm and started building the product org i think when we started cash 24 we were very transactional right at at that point my ego was uh, you know probably the the biggest and baddest right because you know i i always thought that everybody that i hired is essentially to execute my vision right and like what i tell them to do uh, so when we hired our first product managers i think the whole idea was that you know they will do what i tell them to do right uh, and that is what they did for some time uh, until they they pushed back and said vikram you don't know what you want uh, right forget like knowing how to execute it in the right way you probably often don't even know what you really want uh and i think at that point unfortunately you know uh, i'll give all credit to my product managers who pushed back and said that you know please do not make it a project manager role versus a product manager role right there is there is a very important uh difference between the two and i think uh, uh you know fortunately for me i realized that uh, i i started realizing that but it took me some more time to actually one is knowing something and one is actually implementing it so it took me a little bit more time to implement it but i would say as of last year maybe like first two years i would tell what has to be done which is sort of business driving product right then like the next two years were sort of somewhere in between where i would sort of you know become a bottleneck where i would try to tell them in every way no this is what is to be done and how it is to be done and now i think in last one year it has truly become where these are the north star this is the north star metric right these are the five business goals for this year these are the 30 sub metrics now go and figure it out yourself right so product leading like you know how do what are the right okay we have to move these metrics that is very clear uh, that comes from the business but how do we help business move these metrics is something that we drive right and that's how we do it now so my role has been uh, limited by, by by my team and i think they did the right thing over years to help me figure that out i would like you to expand on a bit where you essentially realize it's not beneficial for the overall company to not push your vision on to the rest of the team 
that's a learning every founder and opinionated founder has to go through but that's where yeah. the conviction also get tested so how do you strike the balance like you have a strong gut feeling but you didn't really want to make it as too democratic to basically dilute down the vision also you know yeah yeah no i agree and i think uh, i think there are two things there i think one is it's definitely not democratic right mm. it it's somebody else who is calling the shot but that person again doesn't have to get everybody's consensus right uh, uh, which in this case for example would be the let's say product manager of the dealer app right if he wants to build something for the dealer app he can go and do what he think is right because he is the owner of it so it doesn't have to be necessarily democratic i think the biggest challenge is sort of you know as i was saying it at least for me is sort of my own ego in thinking that i know it all right that i have the right answer right and when you have when you actually have the right answer right that temptation of i told you so and you know this is how we should do it in future is is very high but you know in a way you're fueling your ego so for me and my co-founders that that you know trying literally trying to sort of hold ourselves back like tie ourselves down and say you know regardless of whether they get it right or not and by the way at this point we don't know whether they whether we also what we think is right or not we will not say i told you so and we will not try to sort of short circuit the whole process by sort of you know again trying to call the shots or telling them what to do and i think by doing that we realize that guess what we are actually right, wrong 8 out of 10 times so now by actually delegating the product guy to do the product thing and org guy to do the org thing and sort of you know the finance guy to do the finance thing you actually on an aggregate basis start becoming right 7 out of 10 times because you know uh, uh, because they are sort of focused on that one particular area but i think the key even today prashant is to be able to not try to meddle right and i'll give you an example recently my product guy i called him and he messaged me saying that you know by the way i am consciously ignoring you right and i think that sort of uh, of a feedback to me that please don't like you know don't sort of interfere right like you know let us give it a shot right and i, I was literally doing this i was telling them this is how uh, the buyer experience has to look like and we need to build it the checkout in this particular way right and he said like okay i get it let me just figure it out on my own right and uh, and maybe i was right at that one instance sure right but then on an aggregate basis i am never right more than two or three times right you actually when you get into the specifics you have to do a lot of experimentation right and when you distribute that experimentation uh, you actually start getting things right more often than not vikram you have been a part of uh, two startups over the last 8 9 years and uh, was curious to understand how have you seen the role of the product manager evolve in the indian ecosystem since then it's a very interesting one i haven't figured it out right uh, i even today uh, we our our team is largely hiring regardless whether somebody has prior product experience or not right because we think that like you know we just look, literally if you look at it from first principles basis right the whole idea of the product guy is to come and try and find the most best answer for a problem but with, but while sort of not getting biased by anything that exists right of course you use use all the information that's available to you be it benchmark be it sort of you know prior experience uh, what others have to say but you have to sort of literally start every time with first principles 
you have to every time go through do your own thought experiments you have to do your own pre pre uh, post pre mortems and post mortems and that as a skill is not that easy to find right uh, so i think what we even today are largely doing is hiring for people who we think are first principle thinker which means that they will challenge the existing notions or the ideas all the time as opposed to necessarily trying to optimize whether somebody already has a lot of prior product experience or not right uh, that said i think the younger generation of people clearly are coming out of college and starting with product roles and other roles uh, so their ability to think innovative and of course you know you have twitter and you know you have bunch of substack and so much information out there books etc that you know their sort of their starting point is like much maybe 100x better than where i was or my lot of my friends were when we started but i think as a product we at least personally we still are looking more only at first principle thinking and 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 sort of uh, ability to uh, challenge everything of course that means that we are not necessarily we are also compromising at product managers who have a lot of technical skills which is helpful uh, when they have conversations with developers and help them understand but that's a conscious trade off we have taken that if you do not have the first principles thinking then having technical know how is not going to help right so it's good to have it's not a must have can you share your strike rate in that in the sense like what percentage of like hiring decision you kind of in retrospect regret that okay this didn't work out like 50% 100% i think uh, if i probably i would say 40% 40 to 50% right uh, uh, and i think and this was largely during the early days prashant so maybe first 3 uh, years where essentially you know even in my mind like execution ability of that person was very important right mm-hmm. uh, but then you know what like you know that person may be the hardest worker in the room and gets along with everybody and can sort of do a great project management but if the person is not solving the right relevant problem at that point then everything else is is sort of not relevant right because you are on a wrong path right so and i think in last two years we have sort of adjusted for that a lot that you know if the person is not the best in communication skills you know what we can try and teach him communication her her communication skills but we cannot compromise on the fundamental problem solving ability uh, or fundamental ability to stand up for what sort of their analysis says as opposed to saying okay you know my ceo is telling me this so he has to be right and i got to implement what he say right so i think that is something that we have tried to change in last two years and as a result i think our strike rate has become significantly better now so i mean a commonly held wisdom is that most hiring mistakes are essentially a good part of hiring mistake are essentially also onboarding mistakes like you know how do you kind of assimilate the incoming person into your organization so what is the onboarding process like if i am offered a position in the product team of cars 24 what is my first 90 days be like and what should i be focusing on should i be focusing on quick wins or should i shut up and listen and assimilate as much as kind of absorb as much of knowledge and see how things yeah. are done can you walk us through that yeah i think the best was, uh, course of action yeah 
Yeah, I was reading. Uh, you know, I had read this somewhere that you know, like when you are hiring a new person, it's like you know that person. Like the analogy is like you know you you are going to a party, right? Uh, and at that point, the most important, the first import, the first thing which is very important is just feeling comfortable and in that place, right? Imagine you are a stranger. uh you just know only one person at that party which is the person who hired you and even that person you don't know very well you are in you are new in the town you are going to this party and you want to meet new people you are clearly uncomfortable right so i think the the most important thing that we optimize for is that's just ensuring that the person gets very very comfortable so pretty much first two weeks we don't have any agenda of our own right the agenda is is partially helping this person meet as many people as they can uh for which we sort of you know structure a lot of conversations so we fill their calendar with a lot of conversations uh so they don't have to sort of look around for people themselves but the people are coming and talking to them and second is of course you know just taking through what we have built so far why we have built what are the decision choices we have made uh you know who are the different uh, how are the team structured etc so i think the first two weeks is 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 simply this uh and i think the next two to three weeks is all about more of what you said the latter part which is just assimilate what we are doing because we think that the most important thing when a person is starting is this person is fresh right and this person can bring in their fresh perspective we don't try to bias them the moment we try to take them towards say quick wins अच्छा इस चीज पे काम शुरू कर दो ये देख लो इन अ वे यू आर नॉट गिविंग देम इनफ टाइम टू थिंक राइट व्हाट वी आर ट्राइंग टू डू इंटरनली इज दैट फॉर द फर्स्ट फ्यू मंथ्स वी आर जस्ट ट्राइंग टू टेल देम थिंक अबाउट दिस इंडिपेंडेंटली डोंट गो बाय व्हाट वी आर टेलिंग यू राइट जस्ट बिकॉज़ वी आर डूइंग इंस्पेक्शंस इन 30 मिनट्स फॉर अ कार डजंट मीन दैट दे शुड नॉट दे शुड हैपन इन 30 मिनट्स मेबी दे शुड टेक 60 मिनट्स मेबी दे शुड हैपन इन 15 मिनट्स जस्ट थिंक अबाउट इट ऑन फर्स्ट प्रिंसिपल्स राइट हाउ वुड यू डू इट हाउ वुड यू do it if you were the customer right how would you do it if the company was starting today right how would you imagine it if you were to create a 10x experience so letting them sort of let their imagination run wild right and i think that we feel is more important because every time we have had a big win it has happened because that person thought about something in in a very tangential way as compared to what everybody else was thinking about it for years right so quick wins so that guy will bring even after 4 months right but if in that 3 months if that person is set up in the company as a as much as possible as an independent thinker uh, with with psychological safety that you know that it's okay to be independent thinker uh, and you know people will not call me weird or uh, foolish for my questions and for my observations and for not being action oriented as opposed to just being thought oriented i think that's the crux for us right so for us i think it's it's about just cultivating that ability to challenge that status quo is what we really focus on as part of the onboarding for first several months so what are the kpi you basically look for in that time and overall for a product manager what is the kind of kpi you observe like how many product they have shape or what is the nps of the product do they kind of carry do product manager in cars 24 carry a revenue target share with business how does it work yeah i know we we are focused on input metrics right okay uh, and so basically 
the whole idea for us is that uh, let me take an example so let's say uh, the target is let's say we have to move nps from x to y right say from 50 to 70 right so that is the overall goal and of course as product managers we will try our best to improve that goal but you are not actually measured on the outcome right you are measured on the input and i think uh, i think that mentality also partially comes from being from being very interested in poker right where good decisions not always lead to good outcomes uh, and bad decisions can also lead to good outcomes right and good decisions can lead to bad outcomes right so the idea is that outcome is not always in your control maybe 80% of the time but 20% it is not so it will give you mixed signals right so you can really focus on input right so what we really focus on coming back to the example is that okay if we need to improve nps from 50 to 80 first thing we will do is we will draw out the issue tree right so the, that's very first assessment of a product manager that how good of an issue tree that they can lay out right for example what's what's hampering the nps right what are the 10 things that are hampering the nps and how much issue tree can they detail out right and then what are the experiments once you have this tree laid out with all these branches how far and how deep did you try and go into each of the branches which is essentially how many experiments that you ran right it's it's the challenge with this approach is it's you you cannot sort of look at one excel and, and look at 15 broad matches and say okay these five are best and these five are next best but it's really sort of individual approach with each one of them right uh, which is primarily focused on the fact that did you try to find right hypothesis did you first of all focus on the right problem for those right for those problems did you focus on the right hypothesis and then for those hypotheses did you run enough experiments or not and after that whether you get the result or not it's fine right uh, uh, but the idea is did you sort of from an input perspective did you focus on each of these aspects or not the way we execute this mm -hmm. is that you know we do once a two weeks or once a month the product guy will sort of like do a silent meeting right so we are sort of very inspired by amazon on this so what they will do is they will circulate a document on what they have done in the last two weeks or in the last four weeks and and they will invite business folks uh, and fellow product managers and 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 techies to sort of come for that meeting the first 30 minutes or 60 minutes everybody just reads the document and puts their comments on the document right so that gives real time feedback to the product managers are they on the right track or not in the sense of and also getting inputs from everybody right so that is sort of what i use and then the the product managers use with their teams in sort of giving them also a check post every two weeks or four weeks if they are moving in the right direction right they not only get feedback from the rest of the stakeholders uh, but potentially also on sort of their own thinking are you on the right problems within that problems are you drawing the right issue trees and then for those issue trees are you running the uh, right experiments or not so incredibly input focus we obviously keep an eye on output everybody gets a kick out of output but we do not sort of uh, you know if somebody gets great output but we do not see that this process was followed then we would ask that did you really win because you know you got lucky or did you all put a method to it so there is no separation between the shipping part and the operational part of the product is it what do you mean characterization means there is a product building part where you ship build new features so there is a set of product manager for that or then there is a set of people who basically make it functional make it run promotions 
operations and things like that so who owns this entire value chain business no, so they, product so so the product idea is to at the at, when you sort of look at it from the bottom up atomic level they have to run experiments mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so they need to own the experiments they are the owners of the experiments in some experiments business will take the front lead and say okay i will run the experiment for you in some cases they will run the experiment themselves for example if the experiment involves meeting consumers on the ground uh, right mm-hmm. so maybe the business will take lead uh, uh, for, whereas experiments which are purely online fully they will run the experiment but the whole idea is they run the experiment prove the results and if it takes 6 months it's fine right uh, and only once they have sort of done their experiment and come to conclusions and the business agrees uh, and uh, and the sort of the broader group agrees that this is the right conclusion is then they hand it over to the to the business to run one of our previous guest on this podcast anuj rathi of swiggy he had this metaphor inside the organization weapon builders and soldiers hmm. where they say there are seven set of people who are weapon builders and other set of people who are soldiers who be, be, go on and deploy that thing in the market and yeah. these two teams have different kpis and parameters so do you have similar segregation in no we we do not before? have and we do not and maybe it's to do with the scale uh, hmm. at some level but i think we believe that uh, that end to end ownership is very important right so mm-hmm. because most of the experiment i mean the reason it an experiment is called an experiment is because you don't know the outcome right mm-hmm. so unless you run that experiment yourself mm-hmm. right uh, how will you sort of learn and iterate right nobody else you you create an experiment somebody else that runs an experiment there is a principal agent problem here right so we think it's important for the same product guy to run their experiments fully uh, mm-hmm. and at some point yes they will hand over to the to the business so for example i can give you an example let's say we are trying to create better images for the cars right uh, which means that you know we want to sort of automate dent detection as an example right that now these experiments have to be run by the product manager himself right until they really start getting the dents right auto in an automated fashion without uh, much influence of the uh, of the car evaluator right and once they have run the experiments got into a certain level of agreed uh, milestones or metrics at that point they hand over the business and then business owns that product and runs it basically it's an so quote unquote maintenance mode now right uh, where there will be bugs and there will be issues and there will be some incremental request but large part of the work has been done just Well, Vikram, so you recently started uh, sort of selling cars as well, jumping into the buyer side of the marketplace. Was very curious to understand how do you drive growth for uh, such a high ticket size item, which is a very low repeat frequency, which is also not an impulse purchase. It can't be like a wallet cash back or a referral sort of a thing. It has to be something different. So just was uh, curious to understand. We are very fortunate that we, you know, even if we want to, we could not play that game. because you know as you rightly said we do not have a repeat customer otherwise the temptation of playing that game i mean i don't think i would have managed to resist that temptation so we are lucky that you know we cornered ourselves into a category where we cannot play that game uh, so hence i think you know uh, we are able to focus on the basics uh, and for the buyer right the basics are pretty much similar to what would be for buying anything right which is selection uh convenience and uh value 
right? Selection is how many cars can you provide, uh, you know, that I can choose from. And by the way, this is a this is a search category, not a discovery category. People, yeah. when they are buying a used car, already know what they want, right? They don't come to our platform thinking I will look at the cars and now decide, you know, because your discovery has already happened when you were out on the road, when you went to a bar with your friend, right? When your Mosaji called you and told you that he bought this car or when you looked at sort of a car ad online or on, on, on TV, right? So people, when they come, they already know what they are looking to buy, right? Uh, and used car, everybody has a preference. I want a 2012 car, only 20,000 kilometer, but I also want a green color and so on, right? So it gets fundamentally very long tail. So selection becomes very important, right? That how many cars that you have in the selection. Second thing, obviously, you know, value, right? Why doesn't anybody want value, right? In our category, there are, there our category is a massive supply demand arbitrage category, right? Because there are the new cars are always more in bigger cities, right? Uh, and smaller cities have more demand for used cars, right? New bigger cities are producers of new of used cars, right? Because you and I, our ability to buy a new car is much higher than somebody living in tier four, right? So we are like bigger cities are net producers of used cars, uh, and smaller cities are, are are consuming relatively more used cars, right? So. Because we are an online player, what we can do is now a, a guy in, say, uh, Nasik can buy a Bombay car, right? Uh, and Mumbai cars are fundamentally cheaper than the cars that are available in Nasik in offline, right? Because as I said, there is supply-demand mismatch, right? So those price cars get bigger, more price in Nasik, right? So that's second. And the third is obviously convenience, which is, you know, we can deliver the car to your doorstep. If you do not like it, you can return in seven days. These cars are fully refurbished. Uh, there is no accident on the car. The odometer has not been tampered. Now, interesting thing is, if you think about it, like often we, we in our minds, think about an online business versus offline business as a matter of convenience, right? Okay, why will I buy a car online? I mean, come on, right? It's a very high ticket item. I mean, Indians have not even started buying, you know, refrigerators and washing machines fully online or furniture. And you are saying that, you know, like what people will go and buy cars online. The thing is today, if you're looking to buy a used car, what are your choices, right? You go to a used car dealer, that person has only five cars in the op for you to choose from, right? And you can go to five such dealers or 10 such dealers, you get to see 50 cars. But you know what? It's a search category. You already know what you want. And those 50 guys do not, amongst those 50 cars that you can physically go and see, you do not find what you want, right? Uh, so I, and then you will not find the right value because a local guy cannot exploit those supply demand arbitrages that exist, right? Or sort of mismatches that exist. So I think, or again, I may be, obviously there's a confirmation bias uh, here that this is a category which can only get organized by being online, right? It can never get organized in offline, which is why if you look at CarMax in the US, it has only 2% market share in the US because it's offline, right? Uh, I think online players in cars will get to big, double-digit market shares very quickly. No wonder, like, the used car salesman is in a bad rapport in popular culture also. It's, yeah. Interesting. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so you online might uh, help it scale up. Yeah. 
Is it a fair assumption to say that a large part of your traffic is purely organic, or do you have like a growth team which runs tactical experiments on getting product-led growth? Uh, we have to depend massively on product-led growth because the search volumes, at least on the sell side, were close, were negligible. On buy side, we are very fortunate that there's a lot of search traffic. On sell side, there wasn't. right so to sort of try and figure this out we created this uh, car pricing calculator as an example right so if you go on our website you put in like basic four or five details about your car uh, and you can sort of you know get an idea of what the price for your car is right similar to what zillow in the us has called zestimate for houses right so that was one of the very first things we did even it was all over the place in the beginning now it's obviously much more accurate because a lot of people are just curious about knowing the price of their car right so even in our own conversations we could tell people if you want to know the price of your car want to get an idea because you know as anybody sees a car guy the first thing they ask is yaar meri car ka kya price milega right so you know and we have no idea by ourselves right so we would point them to this calculator of ours so i remember that initially when we used to run facebook ads and i used to at that point in 2015 create these ads and run them myself the ads where i would sort of position us as a place to find the price for your car versus as a place to sell your car the funnel was better in price my car because you know there would just be a much larger top of the funnel so you know we have to we had to do a lot of such things to sort of give people reason to come uh, to us now i can give you another example that today a lot of people we are not able to address is people who are looking to exchange their car right so like that's sort of one of the things that we are trying to figure out how to we provide the exchange or the trade in proposition to a seller like what they get when they go to a new car dealership so we think that there are several such areas which we need to crack to sort of get more and more sellers to come to us speaking of your growth team so growth strategy rather and do you try to go after a local network effect where you basically go and onboard a certain supplier and dealers in a certain city and then you buy ads on google and facebook from that city so is your expansion this is more one city at a time or it's just organic no it's one city at a time always been one mm-hmm. city at a time uh, now mm-hmm. we think more state level right uh-huh. because cars can move anywhere in that state right uh-huh. so the idea is that you get into one state and try and, and now we are in most states anyway but the idea uh-huh. would be to get into one big city in that state and then quickly open small cities as well from the dealer uh-huh. perspective because dealer could be anywhere right and uh-huh. the supply would always be the majority supply would be the top 3 4 uh, cities right from from the seller perspective uh, so that was sort of the whole idea uh essentially in, in our category you know the first push has to be through marketing because otherwise it's a chicken and egg because as a seller you're not mm-hmm. really going online to to sell your car right the search volumes mm-hmm. are very low so we had to do a lot of facebook ads youtube or maybe even outdoor holdings or radio radio actually has mm-hmm. been a big one for us to get mm-hmm. sellers to know about car 24 right mm-hmm. uh and then one sort of some initial people know then they discover this website and they figure out okay you know you can check the price for your car here then they tell other people so we start getting a lot of traffic of people who are just coming to check the prices for their car right they are not looking to sell but they are looking to 
come and check the prices right so the first step is to uh, hack it by running radio campaigns or youtube and facebook ads and then hopefully those people go and tell other people that you can also check the pricing for your car and that brings us more traffic of people who are looking to know what their car is worth and then you know at some point they also start coming into the funnel when they actually come into the window of selling in next 3 4 years and what's your please yeah okay please go ahead so uh, i want to ask what is next in terms of growth for you is it uh, expansion into more business lines like trade in or is it international markets because i think you're already operational in some 70 plus cities in india yeah i think see for us we are right now like 4% market share in india in terms of the supply of used cars in ncr which is our uh, the delhi the whole delhi national capital region which is our biggest uh, uh, market is uh, 12 13% market share right uh, on supply side uh, and as you we were discussing that you know without supply you cannot build demand right so if on supply side i am a 3 4% market share i can really be only 3 4% market share on the demand side as well right no matter how hard i try so for us i think the big part of our goal still is to grow our supply market share and i think one thing is very obvious that if ncr is at 13 14% you know other cities will also get there right uh, and then ncr itself is 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 growing pretty fast so i think our objective is to try and get a significant market share on the supply side first uh and then of course at the same time starting to build demand side as well uh, on the end buyer side but in our category unless we fully crack supply we will always be rather limited by how much uh, you know the size of the business will always be limited by how much of supply you can get right but as we solve for buyer side you know you have bunch of interesting things that you have to solve because when a consumer is buying a car they also want financing right uh and they also are looking for uh, uh you know maintenance solutions or servicing solutions over the lifetime of the car so you got to start providing some of those as well uh so we are getting into them also which is helping somebody buy a car how to get that car financed how to get that car refurbished knowing that it's a multi year journey but the big focus for us still will be just solving for the supply with 73 city already in your roster and you are still planning to expand beyond the 73 cities i believe you are right into what we kind of in industry call like bharat market or bharat one bharat two market like nbu next and all so i mean what kind of a product challenge you foresee so one common maxim is that people are not savvy and people are not comfortable and video is big so do you have some plans in like getting into video and how does the product kind of redefine for that market versus metros yeah uh i i think uh, so first of all uh, to your point number 1 uh, look i think cars is all about supply demand imbalances that that locally exist in a country right and this is mm. true worldwide right there will always be more cars used mm. cars created in bigger cities because that's where there is more uh, 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 you know wealth and people can own new cars uh, and when they decide to sell they become used cars and there will be all always relatively more demand for used cars in smaller cities where people have lesser uh, you know wealth okay. essentially what it means is that used cars always move from bigger cities to smaller cities 
right mm-hmm. uh, and i think that we being an online player allows us to uh, tap into that which is not possible for an offline player right which is why mm-hmm. uh, prashant while we are in 70 cities from supply side which is you know mm-hmm. this is where sellers are selling the cars to us right mm-hmm. but the dealers that are buying the cars from us are in over 350 cities oh 350 towns and cities right so we are already sort of far deeper penetrated and these are dealers in the tier 4 tier 5 cities who are literally buying the cars on an app right mm. in our category what we have seen is that 5 years ago dealers were using down, the first app that dealers downloaded was was literally cars 24 right even today a dealer on an average spends 2 hours on our app every day right wow. so it's like like only if it was a sort of a consumer app right but it's it's it's, it's a business app so it doesn't have obviously that many users uh, but i think this whole problem of supply is so uh, huge in this category that if you are solving for the selection problem whether it's a dealer or an end buyer people will come online because if i am i'm not trying to create used car market i'm not trying to get say that okay 4 million 5 million used cars get sold every year how can i take to take that to 8 million i am what i am trying to say is that out of the 5 million cars that get sold every year how can i increase my market share from 4% to 10% let's say right and when i present to a buyer in 250th city that there are there is one option for you to buy the car locally but you know that car may be expensive you cannot be sure of the quality and you may not likely find the car that you're looking for whereas you can buy this car online yes you are not able to see it at the time of purchasing but you can uh, get it for better price because you know we have a national inventory uh, this car is at a better price and you know if you don't like it you can return it uh, in 7 days no questions asked i think we think that the proposition at its fundamental level is so strong that i am getting the car that i want as opposed to i picking the car that you know is the next best option that is available is what sort of you know lends this category uh, for a faster online penetration and this is exactly why dealers even in the 500 city are getting to getting to use uh, used you know car 24 app and i think that's how it is going to turn out for end buyers as well as we expand into that i'll be honest like before we started this conversation my whole understanding of your business was more from the demand side that this is a business solely run on the momentum of demand and this is a very nuanced perspective you have given on the supply side so only other time where i have seen a supply led thing is like what oyo has done to standardize the templatize the whole hotel experience and all so is it a fair characterization that you guys have kind of templatize and standardize the supply side experience of uh, car market is it yes absolutely and i think this is something that can be only done online right that's sort of the most fascinating part of it so for example there are 10 honda cities in delhi right uh, but there is more demand for those honda cities in panipat as opposed to delhi itself right Correct. what we have really done is connected the right demand to the supply right otherwise this supply was getting picked up by local demand uh, which was making it always suboptimal right uh, and that's why our pricing algorithms are far superior not just because they are algorithms and are not like something in the mind of a human being 
but also mm-hmm. because they factor in all these supply demand imbalances across the country so the key here is solving in this category you are right prashant the key is to solve for supply and uh, as now you are a unicorn congratulations so uh, what kind of organizational like rewiring you restructuring you see uh, forcing yourself doing to meet up the next level of growth like so far is your org kind of functionally designed like uh, or is it like business unit wise designed is vertical or horizontal and how do you want yeah. to change it going forward yeah i think uh, you know we are uh, vertically set up mm-hmm. uh, and the and the reason for uh, being a vertical setup is uh, you know we, we at some level we are a platform right so if you have supply then you also need demand if you don't have enough demand then supply will not come if you have you know supply but not demand then supply will go away so we had to sort of give end to end responsibility right so we pretty much every state level has its own pnl uh, so that they can they can be responsible for both supply and demand so i and i think we want to continue it that way uh, the most important thing from us for organizational perspective has always been conviction right that we want to hire people who have conviction in the business and i think it's okay if most people do not right because that's how you that's why you have that opportunity if everybody believed in this then i'm sure there are smarter people who would build a better business than i am at this point but you know we look we talk to 100 people and if you find one person who has conviction i think that's for us is the most important thing in this business prashant in 5 years we went through five crises those are solar me demonetization hua 2017 mein gst implementation hua and the gst on used cars initially was 18 20% then in third year we had uh, the nbfc crisis right so suddenly new car sales started dropping fourth year new car sales got a even bigger hit because government said we have to migrate to bs6 immediately insurance is mandatory uh, <laughs> right so the car prices went up further and then as soon as in january of this year we finally started seeing the car sales recovering corona hit and our business went down to zero again right when you go through this and you know my co-founders and i joke that you know if we for some reason could see that you know we will go through this five crises no way in hell we would get into this business uh, because go through so much pain right so so for us i think uh, you know that belief only got stronger that conviction is the most important thing right if you do not have conviction uh, then you know most of the things won't work out so and i think as we try to you know by taking by raising so much money we have taken a huge responsibility that we have to grow to next level now so i think the it was we were four co-founders when we started this and i think now we need sort of maybe 15 20 people who have that same founder mentality and that is what we are that is why i have been doing sunday interviews trying to find such people and i think that's sort of the biggest focus for us that's awesome i think that's a perfect segue to uh, wrap it up and like uh, hand it over to utkash we have a small rapid fire round before we close it utkash uh, vikram keen to know your favorite car <laughs> if you have uh, this pe- people you know people sort of you know make fun of me for this i i'm not a big car guy I, i've been using my honda city and i love it for 8 years so yes <laughs> i guess my honda city is my favorite car 
are you planning to sell it <laughs> if i am uh, yeah i mean that would be i, I not yet but yes it's some day car 24 is going to get that car do you have a favorite go to book or something that you reread uh i not a favorite go to book but i think my this year has been sort of uh characterized by this book called alchemy that i read by uh, you know rory sudai from rory so it's fascinating because you know uh, you know i always took pride in the fact that i'm a very rational objective guy logical guy mm. and that book made me embarrassingly clear that you know there are trade offs for everything in life including being like you know trying to be logical on everything in every aspect right so i think that is book that taught me this year that you know it's not what you you know it's not always about your actions it's also about how you make somebody feel right and that has implications on our marketing for the consumers that has implication of how i interact with my employees and and in personal life like so many implications so yeah i've been a, uh, you know that has influenced me the most this year or you know maybe across several years in last do you also last have a favorite years. philosopher i uh, i actually you know uh i sort of you know pick and learn from a lot of people who sort of are synthesizing these philosophers right so i started with furnam street um and you know uh, all the things that you know they write and then i started reading mental codex uh then obviously big fan of charlie munger and and then you know peter bevlin seeking wisdom so uh, and then recently i found another uh, blog uh, seeking happiness right so like bunch of these sort of things which have sort of helped me learn uh, and they obviously synthesize everything which is great i i discovered hanlon's razor from your twitter thread are there any other mental models that you would also want to tweet or share i am a big fan of mental models because you know uh, because i think the insight for me has been is that each one of us is so biased in our actions that we have no clue of how we sort of lead and conduct ourselves right and this particular model hanlon's is very in- influential at least for me because it makes me realize that i don't have to sort of feel vindictive all the time with people and you know just sort of that helps me become at, get at peace with myself but the other thing that has helped me in in for example at work is this whole idea of of jeff bezos which is reversible versus irreversible decisions right and once you sort of really internalize that you actually start letting go more because you know what there are very few irreversible decisions most are reversible right uh, and once you sort of once you sort of apply that mental model then you don't want to make most decisions right you tell person to figure it out for themselves and which increases their ownership as opposed to they being a yes man or or being a doer right so i think that's one thing that i use uh, of like in at work and is has been super helpful to me one ceo you look up to in india and abroad i was thinking about it uh, and talking about it to somebody few days ago and i think in india i think it's sachin bansal because i mm-hmm. think uh, mr bansal took very big bold uh, he ran big bold experiments that i don't think anybody else has be it e card be it uh, mm-hmm. moving to the m site uh or sort of uh, you know big billion days cash on delivery you know some of them may have worked some of them may not have worked but you know this is audacity and even today right with sort of his new plans and how he sort of doubling down on on very few things 
I think that I think just sort of the courage is 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 fascinating, and I think uh, you know I could I could learn and sort of get inspired to get more of that kind of courage. Electric car opportunity or threat, and how long before it becomes a mainstream thing? Electric car is a massive opportunity because you know once you have electric cars, there is even for OEMs there is no incentive to sell cars offline because you know electric like the the model today for offline dealerships is they make money. not by selling car they make money by servicing that car over years but you know electric car doesn't need an engine so there is much less maintenance which is why tesla sells online and electric cars will sell more online so it's actually a massive opportunity uh, for the acceleration of moving uh, you know the car business even more digitally and how long before it becomes mainstream in india any prediction i think first it has to become mainstream in the us uh, but i think uh, my sense is in 10 years it should get mainstream that's awesome very very question thanks to kram and i think that's uh, this was an awesome conversation very we learned a lot especially the supply side of the business thing was real eye opener thank you thank you very thank you likewise uh, pleasure catching up same here uh, thank you okay, thank you thank you uh,